Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host Jonathan and this is DCI number 97. In this episode, Brian and I get to talk to Ben Jones, who is one of the game developers behind Into the Stars. Into the Stars is a space exploration game where you are the captain of a ship that is leaving Earth trying to find a new star system to, uh, to inhabit. It's kind of like FTL meets Oregon Trail, uh, but we go into a lot more detail than that in the interview itself. If you want to find out more information about the game, head on over to darkstation.com. There you can find links in the show notes to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter to find out when other interviews are going live. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Now on with the show. us on the dark cast here tonight how are you doing i'm doing really well thank you good glad to hear glad to hear uh so we are here to talk about into the stars but before we get into the game itself let's talk a little bit about you and and what you do at fugitive games yeah so uh, i'm just one member of our small uh, four-man team um here in santa monica california um and uh you know all of us have been in game development in AAA for over 10 years each. And, um, you know, this is really, uh, you know, our first true uh, venture into to indie gaming. Um, and we're, we're just really excited by, you know, by the opportunity and, you know, what we've been able to do so far. Uh, you, know, for, you know, for me personally, um, I really handle the, most of the day-to-day business for the studio. Um, everything from, from marketing to dealing with lawyers and, and the publisher and, uh, you know, our community and social media and all that stuff. So um, doing a lot of those different aspects um, and then also working on the audio for the game and, and helping out the team wherever I can. Um, you know, what, what's crazy about, uh, you know, doing something with, with this small a team is that, you know, everybody has a ton of responsibilities. So, um, you know, basically one person is handling a massive chunks of the game that, you know, in AAA would be divided amongst, you know, 20 to 30 people. So, um, for instance, our, our project architect, Mark, has basically built the vast majority of the game um, in Unreal's blueprint system. Um, our art director, Alden, has done like 95% of the art for the game. Uh, himself, <laughs> um, and our you know our creative director Roy is really responsible for the gameplay itself, how how the world is laid out, most of the events that are taking place inside of it. So um, all of us has really large areas of responsibility. Um, so it's a it's a fairly unique experience um, for us, but one that we're really excited about because you know we get an opportunity to do things on our own and um, and build a game that we're really passionate about. Now, uh, Ben, you mentioned that a lot of you have. Uh, a good deal of experience in the industry before kind of venturing off into this uh, smaller project or, you know, indie space. What other games have you worked on before this? Uh, we've been all over the place. Uh, you know, most of us spent many years in our careers working on shooters. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
Mark and I have worked together for years, and we worked on games like Mag and, and SOCOM 4, um, you know, Medal of Honor and Battlefield 4. Uh, uh, you know, so we've we've had a lot of time in that space, and uh, you know, Mark and or I should say Roy and Alden's journey is a little more interesting and diverse. Um, they've been, you know, uh, working on all kinds of stuff from you know Shadows of the Damned. Uh, they both worked on Lost Planet Three. Um, you know, and Alden's been working on games forever. Just a crazy uh, array of of AAA titles. So, um, you know, we're really all over the place. Um, I was going to say that is pretty. All over the place. I mean, if you can say Shadows of the Damned and Battlefield 4. Like, Shadows of the that's... Damned with anything else <laughs> is all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those games are juxtaposed in a lot of different ways. Uh, but, you know, I think that's really helpful for us in terms of experience um, and, and also what it, you know what it brings to the table in terms of game development. Um, you know, we just we understand a lot of different mechanics and approaches and um, I think that really helps us, you know, come together and, and find, uh, you know, quick solutions in areas that can be difficult. Sure, sure. Uh, now, how did you get into the, the gaming industry? Did you go to school for game design, or how, how did you get to this point? Um, I, I did. Uh, actually, Roy and I both went to graduate school uh, at the Guildhall in Dallas uh, for game development, but um, I started years before uh, in the mod scene. I worked on this mod called Day of Defeat um, for many oh, years. Yeah. okay. Um, you know, kind of got my start that way. Um, you know, and then all of us, you know, kind of fell in it different ways, whether it was, you know, small jobs and internships, um, you know, and, you know, or, or, you know, professionally through school. I mean, it just, uh, it, it's just crazy how, like most people's stories, of how they got into the industry is always really, you know, fascinating to me because there's really hardly any common threads. Right. Um, you know, some guys like, well, you know, I was an architect and I just kind of got sick of it. So I started building levels and you're like, wait, really? <laughs> um, and you know, that happens more often than not. Yeah. But I mean, for us, it was, um, you know, I guess a little more traditional. Um, but you know, like I said, we've, we've been in game development for a long time now. Very cool. Yeah, I think that was, that was somebody that we spoke to. It was a, a good year, year and a half ago. Um, who he was just like straight up businessman. I think he was like in stock exchange and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, I'll, I've always wanted to uh, make a video game, and now I'm at a point in my life where I can kind of fund this, so I'm gonna do it. And so, like, with no previous video game design experience, he just kind of branched off and it's made a video game. It's like that's awesome. That is, that I love stories like that. I mean, it's. What's what's funny is that those people, you know, are often really successful because, um, you know, it's been something that they've been thinking about for forever, and they, you know, they they poured all their energy and thoughts into it, and now they're, you know, they're going to quit their job and do it for real. There's a lot, there's a lot on the line, and I think, you know, with us, we share that commonality. Obviously, it's a it's a big risk, um, you know, taking a foray into the indie space, but for us, it's you know, it's totally worth it already. I mean, it's just the rewards of working on a day-to-day basis with each other and, you know, having the, you know, the ability to, to build something that's really, you know, up to us, um, in a genre that we love is, is really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, you said that there's, you know, there's, there's four of you at the studio. Um, but how long have you been working on the game? Cause it seems like a pretty big project for a, uh, yeah, that's what's kind of crazy is that, uh, we've only been working on the game for a year. Um, you know, a little over a year at this point. Um, so it's pretty wild turnaround for us um, to be like we launched in early access last week. So uh, you know, it's pretty amazing uh, to, to have that happen so quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's been a very very fast development cycle. Um, you know, even for our uh, even for our standards. I mean, this is just it's really crazy. So um, we're pretty excited by it. 
cool. So you, you said you've been working on the game for about a year. Um, what what kind of determines that now is the the right time to put the game up on early access? Like how do you how do you come to that decision? One to to do early access, and then also to to do it now versus six months from now or six months ago or you know, right. any of that. Well, we really think this is the perfect time for us. I mean, really the decision to go into early access uh, was really rooted in in the scale of the game and what we felt we were able to tune, you know, by ourselves. So I feel like we, you know, we kind of reached that limit a couple of months ago because um, the world is pretty large and the number of, you know, enumerations is, is really high, right? So for, a, you know, a four-man team and even with the, you know, the, the quality assurance tester help we got from our publisher, it's it's really tough to cover everything um, because you know the player can make so many different choices and have so many different experiences, um, and to get a grapple on that, both from a performance and balancing standpoint, uh, you know, is a is a challenge for a small team. So we looked at it and said, hey, like you know, we want to put a lot of effort in making sure that most of the core systems are stood up and players can experience the game fully. And let's get it out there and you know polish and refine it and, and see where the community really wants to take this thing. Um, you know, because you have a vision in your head, and we know where we want to go. And I think we'll, you know, we'll continue to push in that direction. Um, but there's a great opportunity to here to work with the early access community and our Kickstarter backers to to take it up a notch and really build the game that they want as well. Um, and that's that's really what it's all about. So I mean, that was the point of the decision. And in terms of timing, like I said, I mean, it just really lined up with where we are from a development perspective. The game is essentially in beta, so. Uh, you know, a great time to get community feedback on it and use that to refine the overall experience. Sure, sure. So, so speaking of the game now, um, the press stuff said somewhere between FTL and Oregon Trail. Talk to me about space dysentery and what is it going to do to my crew? Well, it's honestly, it's it's funny because the space dysentery will actually ravage your uh, the civilians on board your ship more than it will your crew. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Wait, true. wait. Is there really space dysentery? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> you have to you have to watch out. For, there's uh, there's a lot of callbacks, uh, you know, to especially the, the Oregon Trail, that's... and that's that's a game that we love. And you know, it's it's a lot of people say, oh, you know, that doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, we're we're not really sure where that comes from, but it's for us. It's you have a massive crew compartment aboard your ship. There's ten thousand civilians there, and it's basically you've you've replicated an entire city um, in the back of your ship, and you know that comes with a large number of problems. So, um, as the captain, you're spending a lot of you know not a lot of time, but a good amount of time delegating your crew uh, to handle issues aboard your ship, and um, yeah, your your civilians can definitely get sick, and <laughs> it's something that you're going to want to take care of. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I imagine that you know during that time and, and stuff, especially in tight quarters like that. I mean, you know, you you think of something as tight as like a submarine or, or where you don't get a lot of a lot of room. I mean, that's that city, even though there's so many people back there and it's so large, it's it's large enough to hold those people. That's still a very uh, like confined space. That's yeah, not getting any bigger. You can't really go anywhere else. Yep. Yeah. So those problems tend to exacerbate, and you know, the longer you let them linger, the the worse they'll become. Um, you know, the more civilians uh, will get sick and die. You know, the more resources you lose, or the more damage you'll have to your modules. So 
Um, those are things that you'll definitely want to tackle, you know, at the earliest opportunity. But you know, just the way it, the way it works is that anytime you know one of your crew members is on task um, or or in the sick bay, for instance, they're not available for anything else. So you know, if combat comes up or if you want to explore a planet's surface, you know, you might not have your best people because they could be off doing other things. So um, kind of risk reward there, and players need to make smart choices on on when they handle those issues. Okay. Very cool. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, so for somebody that, that doesn't know what Oregon Trail is or doesn't know what FTL is, right? What what is this game? What's the, I guess, the elevator pitch of... Well, yeah, I mean, what's funny is it's really focused around those two games because the elevator pitch is, uh, you know, it's FTL meets Oregon Trail in an open world. Um, okay. But if, if you're not familiar with those two games, uh, it's basically a space survival simulation slash roguelike. Um, so you're really focused on, uh, you know, outfitting your ship in a proper way, uh, handpicking your crew, um, getting the right resources aboard, and then setting off on this journey where um, you, as the final captain leaving your home planet, um, with these 10,000 civilians aboard, is basically tasked with crossing uh, this very large star system to find the one planet that can be the new home for humanity. Um, so, you know, obviously that's a big task. So um, it's going to be a tough one. And um, the way the game plays out, uh, it's, you know, it's really going to require multiple playthroughs where you you venture out into the star system and, you know, find out what's out there and, and try to pick and refine your routes uh, through multiple playthroughs so that you can find the right passage for your play style uh, in order to get to that, that new home planet, Titus Nova. Hmm. So, so you're one of many captains that is going out trying to find a new home for humanity. Essentially, is the, the that's correct? Story. Yeah, okay. you're you're the last one to leave your home. You don't really know what the status is of all the other ones, but you will find that out um, throughout your journey. Okay, all right, very cool. So, so there's some story elements in there too. It's not just you're venturing out and you you make the story yourself, but there's some other. Yeah, yeah in world and and that's something that we're going to work on in early access to is really build up the beginning and the end because mm-hmm. we really want the the it's kind of a choose your own adventure um, style of storytelling so we really want players to really write everything that comes between those bookends themselves um you know which we think keeps it fresh and um it's it's fun it's fun from a replay perspective to kind of go through and, and you know mark different journeys because you know on, on any given journey you know you could on the first planet make a bad choice and lose three of your crew members and you know from then on it's going to be a very different journey than um you know if you had most of them with you throughout it so um you know you've got to you definitely got to make some hard choices and and every time we play we want it to be a little different so speaking of those choices so like like especially going back to, to FTL and Oregon Trail, those were games about about hard choices, and mm-hmm. outside of those, um, the the rest of it was you know outside of like shooting buffalo or getting blown up by aliens, it was really kind of static. Uh, how much of that carries over, and how much do you really have like like control over your ship? As far as are you just making jumps? Do you have free control? Is this something that you can kind of drive around? So it's a little bit of a mix there, um, but in terms of control, yes, you have complete control over your ship. It's complete free movement in an open world. Um, so you you know you've got a, a, you know a star system that's kind of shaped like a diamond, um, where your starting point is at the bottom of the diamond and your ultimate destination is at the top. Um, and how you choose to traverse that map is completely up to you. Um, there's you know there's no jumping. It's uh, it's very focused on. 
uh, static environment of, of planets and, and stars, um, you know, and different space objects scattered throughout um, with a lot of dynamics built into them. So, um, for instance, every time you come to a planet, uh, you're going to run into different uh, opportunities when you send a shuttle team down. Um, every time you send a mining rig down to the surface, there's going to be a different allotment of resources. Um, so you kind of have to factor those things in along with, you know, the, the dynamic events that happen on your ship and, um, and having a variable crew every time you play. Um, you know, there's a lot of separation there. But we really wanted to focus on having a, a, you know, a static environment. It's not, it's not no man's sky where everything is procedurally generated all the time and, and you don't really know, you know, where you're going. With this, it's, you know, it's very focused on uh, a laid out map and structure so that the players can learn that over time. Um, but every time they go to one of these destinations, they're bound to experience something different. Okay, so generally, one of the the elements of a you know roguelike is going to be that either there's uh, there's an element of randomness, if not out straight, you know, just procedural generation. So how much of that is in this, or just the the planets that you go to different, but the overall layout is the same? How does Right. Yeah. So just okay. as I was saying before, the planets themselves remain the same, but what on, okay. what happens on them is different. Okay. Um, there's other things that are randomized as well. You know, it's uh, where do you fall upon a trade route? Is an alien trader in the location that he was before, or do you have to search him out in a different sector? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you did you just miss this uh, this scorn patrol that was you know in this area um, that's now lingering around a planet? Um, do you have to you know do you have to deal with him in order to go and interact with that planet? Um, and there's also, you know, the concept of, of what we call, um, uh, oh, I'm losing the thumb. <laughs> I'm losing the word, but it's essentially like a, a tile threat. It's a threat system. So um, there is, the world is basically broken up into these sectors. And the longer you spend in any one given sector, um, the likelihood of you being attacked by this alien race, the Scorn, uh, who coincidentally are the ones responsible for destroying your whole, you know, your home planet and the impetus for you leaving. Um, you know, the, the odds of being attacked by them increases. So um, it's really our push mechanic. Um, anybody that's familiar with FPL will kind of understand, you know, the wave mechanic they have. But, of course, the separation for us is that ours is tile-based. So, you know, you can meander in, you know, any number of different directions you want um, and circle back on yourself, whatever you want to do. Um, and it's merely based on the amount of time that you spend in one individual sector. Okay, so... Uh, within a sector, you're you're free to move around. No like restraints on fuel or anything like that, or oxygen. Well, of course, yeah, of course. There's restraints on fuel. Resources okay. are a huge component of the game. Um, okay. you know, obviously, you have a freeform selection at the start of the game, and, and players should try to match that selection up to the modules that they're using to outfit their ship okay. with. So, um, you know, so like if I if I have a bunch of modules that run on hydrogen, I'm going to want to be sure to like try to carry a lot of that with me, for instance, right? Um, so resource balancing and then being conscious of, of your needs is, is a big part of the game as well. So um, you could very easily run into a situation where, you know, you maybe you've got a ton of fuel, but because of the planets you chose to mine or the resources that were available to you, um, your civilian population is out of food. So they're starving and slowly dying. Um, but you've got, you know, an infinite amount of dilithium crystal. Right, sadly okay, not. Right, so, All right. You know, you, you know, in that case, you're going to have to go and you know either uh, trade with aliens or you know go down to planets um, and mine the proper resources to get them uh, you know the food that they need to survive. Cool. Very cool. What what kind of food? Just curious. Well, there's a there's what a central resource. Yeah, there's a central resource that we we use for food. I mean. We, 
you know, the rest of the game is based on the periodic table of elements, but there's one element that we created called biomatter, um, and that's essentially um, just biomass that you're harvesting from planet surfaces and then converting into uh, food by the use of the protein sequencer module. So, okay, so just because I'm into really dumb stuff like this, is it <laughs> is it like, is this the stuff that you would put in that, like, um, one of those like condenser things would kind of just make into whatever you wanted, or are we feeding these ten thousand civilians like the Matrix version of protein gruel? Yeah, it's essentially more like the Matrix, where it's like they're oh, eating sludge. It's okay. like soylent green. Okay. Yeah, ex yeah, yeah. Except in this instance, the soylent green isn't people. It's not people. Okay. Not. People. I mean, it could be if we get it could be. Okay. Maybe we'll add that and just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets desperate at one point. <laughs> Convert civilians to food. Done. So I saw. I was it's looking funny, at funny enough, actually. I, w one thing that you will notice is that there's a there's actually an alien race that's kind of dedicated towards that. Um, there's an alien race called the the Glubdon that you can interact with, um, and they're really only interested in human flesh. So, oh, uh, they they find humans to be delicious. Sometimes they you know they have too much of them and we'll say hey we're we're sick of these humans we want to eat something else take them back and we'll trade you for x resource um but more often than not though they're willing to trade you you know a generous amount of the resources you need for you know say a few hundred civilians when you when you get to a planet initially and you're going to start doing you know, like kind of the hunt for resources um, kind of run me through like like how this happens are we are we shooting like a probe down and saying okay this is what we have this is where we need to drill or is it just kind of okay we send a drill down this is what we get back so there's uh there's two options um where that's concerned so there is a probe that you can send down um, with a remote pilot that's super low risk low impact doesn't take a lot of resources but it also doesn't gather a bunch back and it's just kind of random as to what it comes back with um, but the more involved method of mining comes from the you know the deployment of a mining rig to the planet's surface and once that happens, um, you're engaged in this mining mini game that's really driven by the, the skill set, uh, you know, of your mining rig operator uh, in terms of how you move throughout that game. Um, but you're basically manually maneuvering a drill bit um, into the, you know, under the planet's surface to find the resources that you need while trying to avoid areas that would do damage to the drill. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so, it, so, so there's so just that, a couple, couple ways of resource. You can also get resources from uh, you know the end of combat if you destroy if you destroy alien ships. You can discover resources. Um, you can also send probes into gas clouds. Um, so there's you know there's a couple different ways you can actually gather the resources that you need. Awesome. Okay, that's very cool. I like the the kind of resource resource nature of it, where you're you're kind of you're. All the tools are kind of there, and you just have to figure out, okay, how do I get this stuff on board in a manner that I can use it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about balancing that out. You know, we've seen from feedback the last couple of days of early access, people are like, I don't understand. Like, why are my people dying? It's like, well, you're not feeding them. They're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. That I need to balance <laughs> the amount of food that they have because they're real people. Um, it, you know, it's it's great to see that. And, you know, it shows us, uh, you know, areas that we can improve, too. But it's, uh, it's, it's funny because... Um, 
you know, as a captain of, you know, of the ship, the Arc 13, you're managing a lot. So it's, you know, at any given moment, you're, you're handling, you know, you know, different events on your ship. And then, oh, I need to hit to this planet and, and gather resources. And, oh, I spent too much time here and I'm getting attacked. Um, you know, so you really have, you know, a lot to kind of balance in your mind as to like, okay, what do I really need to do? And, and the goal of that was to really make players feel not necessarily the pressure, but like what it really takes to be a captain of a massive ship like this and the amount of, uh, you know, consciousness and, uh, and thought that you have to direct towards uh, the civilians and your crew if you really want to be successful. Is there a perfect run? Uh, perfect. Yeah. We, we have Is there a, a run where everybody system. comes out okay on the other side? Yes, I, I I have seen such a run. It is very rare, uh, I will say, for you to you know to not lose any civilians, to not lose any crew members, to have you know a stacked resource uh, cache once you get to your final destination. But it but it is possible. Um, but I will say it is very difficult. Um, and you know we we set out that way. We're still, of course, balancing and tuning. We've just been in early access a couple of days. Um, but for us, you know, we we want to make it a little more approachable in these tuning passes. But we still want to you know keep it difficult because uh, it should be a really big challenge to get to the end, especially to you know get everything right. And and of course, you know, a certain a certain amount of that is also. Uh, you know, up to these random factors. You know, sometimes you, you could get really lucky, and for instance, like find a, a super upgraded laser module on this planet surface that you're then using to, you know, defeat uh, your, your enemies before they can even, you know, get a couple shots off on you. Like those kind of things um, can play a big role. So um, it's not all about skill. There's definitely a factor of luck in the game, um, you know, which makes that those perfect playthroughs even more challenging. Now, with the um, the the mining and any other types of kind of missions that you send your your crew off on, is that a is that a thing where you have direct control over, or is that a kind of timer sort of situation where you you send them off, and in such and such amount of time they'll come back? It's it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's mostly okay. in your direct control. For instance, the okay. mining mini game. You know, once you're down on the surface, you're guiding the drill. So, gotcha. um, you know, if you're avoiding the areas that are doing damage to the drill, you can have a successful run until the drill runs out of fuel, and then it comes back. Everything's good. You know, nobody was uh, nobody was injured. Um, you know, that's great for you. you. You grab the resources that you can, and you move on. Um, where it, you know it concerns sending a shuttle team. You know, down to investigate a derelict ship or a planet, for instance. Um, you know, they're they're inherently at risk when you send them down, um, and it's about choice. So you'll you know you'll get a couple of options as to where you where you could potentially explore. And once you pick one, it'll say, okay, hey, this is what we found, Captain. Um, here's you know the percentage chance of success that we think we have. Should we go for it? Yes or no? You know, so as the captain, you're then deciding, all right, is it worth the risk? Um, because you know, if they come out on the losing end of that, um, you know, your crew could could be damaged or even killed, um, and obviously that that makes things moving forward that much more difficult. But on the flip side of that, um, they can make amazing discoveries. You know, anything from um, new civilians, um, you know, new modules for your crew, um, you know, or other enhancements or repair parts for your ship that are going to be really useful along the way. So we'll put a bit of risk reward there, and it's ultimately up to you as captain. Um, what you feel is worthy of that risk. Very cool. Very cool. 
Uh, how does the uh, how does combat play out? You mentioned earlier you could be off on a side mission and then realize, oh no, I'm being attacked. What what happens right. then? Right. So there's a couple of different ways combat can be initiated. There's three in total. Um, the first is based on that threat system that I talked about earlier. So you're lingering in a different sector, you know, a little bit too long, um, and you're going to get jumped by by the scorn who've then tracked you down. Um, you can face up to three enemies at a time in that situation, so it becomes pretty hairy. Um, the second way of engaging them is by uh, running into an enemy patrol. Um, there's, a, there's a good amount of storm patrols uh, throughout the star system, so you want to try to avoid those. Um, and then the third is um, there's a particular alien race called the Menket that um, they are you know, very, very aggressive and hostile, and they basically make demands of you. But they, they you know, you don't know whether or not you're engaging them because they cloak themselves as as other you know alien traders. Um, so when you engage with them, they make very aggressive demands of you in terms of resources. Um, and if you don't give those up, you know you're going to go into a, a, a difficult fight with them as well. So um, those are the three main ways that you get into combat. Um, the combat itself is pretty interesting. It's really different. Um, it's based on frequency matching. Um, so it's real time. Of course, you could pause it at any time, which is really useful. Um, but the combat is essentially about this frequency matching where you've got these three different frequencies, uh, red, yellow, and blue. Um, and if, you know, in order, like, you have a shield, the Scorn have a shield, theirs is obviously more powerful, and it's up constantly. Um, but in order to penetrate their shields, you're going to have to use a different frequency than what their shields are currently set to. Um, and vice versa, if you want to block their weapons, you know, torpedoes or lasers, you're going to have to match your frequency of the shields to whatever weapons they're deploying at the, and then time it up um, to make sure that you're blocking the shot at the right time. Um, so that's that's the high-level premise of it. Um, you can fight up to three enemies at once. Anybody familiar with FTL understands the, the concept of, of targeting ship modules. So, for instance, I could target a ship's shields, its hull, or its weapons, depending on you know what kind of tactics I want to employ. You know, do I do I want to take out this first ship's weapon so I can then focus on the second one, or do I just want to you know hammer on the hull um, with my high-powered weapons, or is it better to you know try to take out their shields first and do more damage with my weapons? over time. Um, so players will have a bunch of choices there. And then, of course, you have the ability to enhance uh, your weapons at any time uh, with these you know, these enhancements that you found um, during exploration, uh, which will make combat that much easier and more exciting. Nice. Very nice. So, shield, weapon, oxygen. That's, that's a still a good... Can I still take out ships that way? Is there, yeah. Can I shoot their oxygen? Do they breathe? Are there are there alien races that don't breathe oxygen? Ooh, that that is interesting. We haven't really dived into that quite yet. Uh, the focus the focus for you here is the three main components of, of enemy ships, which is shields, weapons, and hull. Gotcha. Um, okay. There's definitely room for you know for expansion in, in those types of areas where oh I want to you know I want to kill uh, kill off their you know oxygen generating systems and, and you know take them out that way. That there's some Excuse me. There's some potential for things like that, which are pretty interesting. And also to your question, Brian, usually the hull hull holds the oxygen. So yeah, oh yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, you bust a hole yeah. in that, and that's okay. Very true. <laughs> oh, very true. Yes. Punch a punch yes. a nice hole in there, and and watch them uh, die slowly. I just had a sudden uh, a sudden need to see a view screen filled with a very rough looking alien who talks with a squeaky voice because their their kind breathes helium. 
Oh man, that's fun. That's something that we would love to add eventually too. Is a communication system where you're getting kind of the updates from you know from the ship, like just like in you know Star Trek, where the yeah, you know, totally. would pop up with a message, and you know their their whole uh, you know bring them up on the view screen. Yeah, exactly. You Tell know, Gary the gluttonous to shove it. You know, right, exactly. Gives them the arm um, the we love stuff like that, and you know, I think for us, like the only thing that we're really constrained by is is not ideas and, and the great feedback that we're getting from the community. It's more a matter of like, okay, what can we actually implement? Because you know, at the end of the day, we're still four people, so it's uh, it's certainly not for a lack of content. There's so much that we want to do. I think it's just uh, you know, a matter of time and resources to get some of that stuff done. How do you how do you prioritize that kind of stuff? Well, I think for us, like specifically, you know, I could talk about this first week for us. You know, we've gotten some really great feedback um, in terms of usability and difficulty. Um, so for us, it's it's really focused on user experience uh, and stability first. Um, so, you know, if there are major technical issues that people are having, like, for instance, like um, there are a couple of resolutions that we didn't support that people really wanted. And, um, you know, they want to play in windowed mode and they, you know, they want features like I want to be able to take all the resources as opposed to having to, like, manually determine what resource I, you know, amount I have. Um, things like those, you know, those are really high priority for us. We're really focused on gameplay and experience first and stability, of course. Um, so we want to really focus on stuff like that. That takes a priority. Um, but, you know, for us, like, the overarching stuff, we really want to focus on story, you know, building out those bookends like we talked about, um, filling the game out with, you know, more interesting and varied combat or content, I should say, um, and beefing up our existing systems. And, you know, I mean, we would love to, you know, support other languages as well. There's a lot of stuff that we want to do. But I think the biggest thing for us right now is focusing on, uh, you know, making sure people are having a stable and fun experience. Um, and if we nail that, then, you know, everything else becomes gravy. So um, it, it's, it's really about what putting one foot in front of the other. Obviously, stability, especially like at this point in early access, that's at this that's point in video ready. games coming out yeah. on PC. You want stability. stability is good as outside yeah. of like, please don't let the game crash. Has there been a piece of feedback that you've gotten like this past week that you didn't expect at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I, some of it, like, honestly, like, we, um, you know, you look at, like, the Steam hardware distribution, and, um, you know, like, there's, I think it's only 30% of all users uh, are using 16 by 10 resolution, um, and it's something that we had wanted to do from the start, but we had to pull, like, towards, you know, right before um, we got towards early access, I think a couple of weeks to a month before, just because we were having all kinds of issues with it. Um, we've got a very particular UI that requires... Uh, a lot of love so like getting that to work on those resolutions was a huge challenge and we're like okay like we don't have time to deal with this we've got to focus on other stuff um and we you know we didn't think it would be that big of a deal and we're like okay like we'll you know we'll handle that with the rest of the stuff um you know in a, a couple weeks after release and it just uh people you know showed like hey this is a really big priority for us i can't even play this you know on my monitors um, apparently your player base was made up of that 30 percent <laughs> Right. Well, you know, or or it just so you know, a large a large percentage of our players like you know didn't have what they felt they needed, and I totally you know I totally understand that. Um, it's you know it's just something where like it's one of those things where it's like oh wow I guess this is a much bigger priority than we thought. So you know we've shuffled things around and um, you know we're we're getting that done this week. So um, it's you know it's just one of those things where you got to pick and choose. Um, you know, you don't always make the right decision, but, um, you know, we, we do everything we can to, you know, to continue to improve on the game over time. 
It's a lot like piloting a starship through space with the uh, last group of humans from the uh, from the planet. Yeah, very much so. so. You make hard decisions. Sometimes it doesn't always turn out right. Right. Like, yeah, in this instance, we, you know, we pushed the dysentery off and, uh, uh, you know, we, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But I, I think... Everybody's yeah, you know, got TB. All right. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's development, too. I think anybody will tell you is, like, especially with, you know, how close you are as a developer to the product and then the smaller the game you're working on, you know, you, you don't really know much about it until you get it out there. Um, you know, because everything could be gravy, you know, in your mind. And, um, you know, we work in a very controlled environment. Um, that's the other thing with PC that I think is so fascinating is that you've got, you know, it's not it's not like console, you know, or even Mac for that where, instance where you're pretty much locked in to a certain, you know, set of, of components and features and, uh, uh, and setups, you know, PC is the wild west, man. So, you know, everybody comes at us so like, hey, like, you know, do you have support for, you know, this insane 4K resolution? And I'm like, not not yet. That's that's awesome, though. Like, we'll definitely Did get you build that, your own but... video card? How are you even doing that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there's some crazy stuff out there. And it's just like, oh, shit. I mean, you know, it's really hard to anticipate, uh, you know, a lot of people's different setups. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, a week ago, like, we thought we had a really, really stable game. We're like, all right, we have like zero crashes. You know, QA's not seeing anything. It looks like it's all locked up. We felt really great about it. You know, and then we get it out there and, you know, we had, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 crash reports from people in the first couple first couple of days. And we're like, where is this coming from, you know? And you dig into it and get more information on their setups and uh, all the different software that they have installed and is running in the background and all this stuff. And it's, um, you know, it's just more than, um, that we had run through uh, through the grinder, so um, I think that's a part of it. I think that's another reason why I think early access is awesome. Like we get to see those things and, and deal with them in real time, um, which as opposed to oh, like we have to have a huge day one patch because you know or week one patch because you know all this shit um, just wasn't anticipated. So um, I, I think it's I think it's great for us. We're really you know excited to be able to work with the community and, and help solve their issues, but it's. It's also amazing the variance that you see in terms of setup with PC. You you come from you know kind of a modding background and where you started. Um, do, do you guys once everything kind of rolls out, do you uh, kind of see a, a bunch of mods being able to or kind of being open to like the modding community? We'd love to. Um, it's one of those things again where it's like where do we where do we prioritize that? Um, oh, totally. Right now, right now it's got to work. <laughs> right, well, and the focus is on finishing the game, right? So I think like once once we're done with that, I think it's something that we really want to consider. Like if it's a possibility for us, it's going to be tough given uh, the way our interface is structured and a lot of the custom components that we have. Um, but I think that there are some things that we could potentially open up to modding. And you, it, actually, one came up this week. Um, you know, our, our art director had been really clever in the way he set up our character portraits. Um, and he wanted from the beginning players to have the ability to edit those and, you know, put in whoever they want, you know, so throw okay. in your friends or, you know, famous characters from, from space, uh, you know, media far and wide, whatever you want. Uh, you know, and we didn't mention that to anybody. Um, and I think it was maybe, I don't know, within six hours of early access release, somebody had posted a picture um, with Bender or somebody, somebody from Futurama, you know, as their captain. You're like, okay, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, that's that's the stuff that we love. So I think, you know, even if it's little things like that, 
or little data segments or, you know, opening up some visual effects for, you know, the ability for the community to tune it. I, I think that stuff is fun and, and you know, we'll definitely look at, at that um, once we've completed the game and we've got a chance to consider opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Totally any uh, any other challenges in in terms of kind of opening up and, and starting, you know, having uh, fan and uh, customer feedback besides the the resolution? Anything else kind of stand out in your mind? Um, not necessarily challenges. I mean, I think like you know, obviously you've got all these different feedback mechanisms, right? Um, you know, from like the Steam community boards to our own forums to people reaching out to us directly on Kickstarter or like using the contact email to hit us up. So I think it's like one of the bigger challenges is obviously like filtering and collecting all of that. Um, so we've, we've taken some steps even today to try to like streamline that process and point people in the right direction for feedback and like give them some structure so we can break it down a little bit easier. Um, so hopefully like those steps will pay off and, you know, in the coming weeks as we get more and more feedback. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's been a, a big one for us is because is people have been great with their feedback and especially with like awesome ideas and all this stuff. And it's just a matter of like, filtering that down so we can like say okay like all right we've got everything here you know we can review it easily we don't have to like pop open 10,000 threads to look at everything um so yeah that's that's been a big one for sure very cool very cool um so with the game you know just now uh coming out into early access do you have any uh you know vague ideas of when you want 1.0 to be released? Do you know when you hope to be out of early access? Yeah, I mean vaguely sometime this fall. Um, Again, what's what's great about the early access process is it's really determined by, you know, by not only what we want to put into the game, but also, you know, what what the community is really clamoring for, and we have to make sure we find a balance point there and determine, okay, what 1.0 really is, right? Because, you know, we've got a roadmap, like, up on the Steam forums right now, you know, of things that we want to look into, and, you know, we discuss some of them. Um, but, you know, really focusing on on the bug, like, the priority bug fixing, obviously, is a near-term thing, but, um, you know, getting in Mac support, you know, maybe we have a chance to look at Linux, um, you know, just enhancing the existing gameplay and, and really working on the story and, you know, adding adding steam features and making sure that we're, you know, complete from that perspective. Um, you know, all that stuff takes precedent. And I think it's all, you know, it all factors in and making a complete game. So, um, you know, we'll just have to continue to evaluate that every month. And as, you know, as we continue to add this stuff and say, all right, like how close are we? And I think generally like, you'll know, like six weeks to a month out, like, like, all right, we're basically there. We know we'll be there in a month. And then you, you know, you lock down a release date from there and figure it out. So, um, you know, hopefully for us it's sometime this fall. But again, I mean, we can't log anything in because it's really dictated by, you know, the amount of stuff we end up wanting to add and, and thinking, you know, it's going to be a part of this complete game and um, and how long it takes us to get there. Sure. Very true, very true. All right, well, Brian, do you have any more questions before we uh, jump into the end game? No, I think uh, we're good to... We're good to end it up. Um, so we like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire. Um, yeah, this is more focused on you uh, and less on, um, you know, like the studio or or, uh, or the game itself. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, feel free. Uh, take your time if you need it. Otherwise, pop out with that answer. Um, and here we go. First question. Um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Oh, wow. Yup. We start out with the bangers. 
Oh, that's a good one. Man, I mean, I, I could take the easy route and say Nathan Drake. Um, just because, I mean, Jesus, like that character is. That is, is that's, that's a well wonderful done. easy route. I will. I will uh, that is, but not as common as you might think. Really, I, you know, I, I just, I love him as a character. I mean, the Indiana Jones vibes there are so strong. But I think, I, I think what's great, and you know, is a testament to you know the the skill of, of the developers, the Naughty Dog, is um, the depth of character that he truly has, and uh, their ability to really. Um, translate his emotions and thoughts onto the screen, um, even when he's not saying a word. Um, you know, his animations and his facial expressions uh, convey a lot of depth there. Um, uh, you know, so I've always, I've always had a, a strong place in my heart for him. But I, you know, I gotta say, Laura Croft too, especially with the you know the recent incarnations and, and what we were seeing at E three. My lord, I mean, that's that's gonna be a really powerful character for years to come too. So. Um, yeah, I mean, those two definitely pull at the heartstrings. I'm down with those answers, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I loved the uh, the reboot they did uh, a couple years ago. That that two, I just played it again recently, and it just it holds up so well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And like Nathan Drake, uh, especially with uh, with Nolan North kind of at the helm there, uh, that that is still the first character where. Um, I reacted to something on the screen and then he said the exact same thing in reaction to what was going on. Right. And I was like, all right, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so flipping the coin for question number two, um, who's your favorite antagonist? Oh, uh, this one's almost harder just because you have yes. so many great villains to choose from. Oh, and you never man. actually think of them in that light. Like, oh man, this, this is the best. Yeah, that's so true. Boy, I'm going to have to think on that for a second. Best antagonist. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Let's see. What have I really liked recently? I don't even know that I can pick one. Shit. <laughs> it's so hard. I, it, it is. I, I I do not make any uh, any assumptions that the questions I ask are easy. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Let's see. I, I mean, take your time. Talk through it. Up, I, mean, yeah. I guess, like you know, in terms of. In terms of uh, you know my favorites, um, shit, who would who would I even pick, man? I mean, it, there's there's been a lot of great ones lately, but um, man, I I don't know. Can I say? Can I like? There's there's a lot of great ones. Like the, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna go Sonic on this. I like. First of all, I love Sonic, and like I almost I almost answered Sonic for the previous question. Um, just what, honestly for the same reason as like Nathan Drake and did like his ability to convey emotion without saying a thing, like mostly through animation, is just awesome. Um, you know, for instance, like when you don't put input in the controller for a couple seconds, he starts staring at you and tapping his feet and crossing his arms, he's pissed. Like, what is subtle things like that are amazing? Um, so, all right, let's, I'll, I'll pick a Sonic character then, and I'll have to say, like, Dr. Robotnik. Okay. Nice, <laughs> and you chose the correct name for him, too. I don't yeah, know You don't this... believe in the Eggman? No. Okay, all right. No, I mean, Robotnik. Yeah, that's, Eggman. That's I get. Like either either way, like you know who we're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, and totally. 
first of all, like, the dude just has a lot of character, and, like, his, his like, my dad is bald and has a big mustache, so I can kind of relate. <laughs> with Dr. And, like, as a kid, I've been like, oh, my dad is totally Dr. Robotnik. He said he doesn't have, like, this, like, egg-shaped flying vehicle, uh, but he's also sinister. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, like, especially as a kid, like, I, I loved, uh, I loved that character as an antagonist. I, you know, it's just one of those guys that you love to hate, and it felt so good to beat him. Yes. Yep. Totally did. Totally did. Question number three. Um, is there any kind of, uh, like, trope or trend in gaming right now that you'd like to see, um, uh, that's maybe not as big as you'd like to see it. Something that you'd like to see grow and continue to proliferate. Well, okay, so without diving into some of the recent controversy, I think a trend that we're seeing and kind of emerged at E3, which I really like, um, is seeing, you know, kind of a reemergence of a female protagonist or just having them as a focal point within our games. I mean, I think, you know, it's women make up half our planet and our society and like it should games should be a little more inclusionary and representative. And um, you know, I, I think we, we didn't set out to do that with our game. We just became naturally where, you know, players have a complete choice of uh, you know, of the sexes between, you know, the captain that they pick and, and their crew members and, um, you know, and some of the aliens you face. I mean, it's just natural for us. And, um, you know, I think that's awesome because really, like, especially when choosing, you know, an avatar, like if you're picking who you want to play as a captain, like, you know, in any game that you can, like I, if you have a character creator, I'm generally trying to create me and then get weird with it, right? Like, I want a dude that looks like me, and then he'll have a weird top hat and a weird mustache, and that's awesome, you know? But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I would think that having, like, a variety of choice is, is really important, and, um, you know, I hope that, you know, as game developers, like, we continue to offer more and more choice um, where character is concerned, um, you know, as, as we progress as an industry. That's a great answer. Uh, flipping the coin again, I, I really like this coin flipping thing. Um, what, what's a what's a trope that you'd like to see go away completely? Oh man, ah, that's that's tough. Um, go. We away. never said these would be easy. So yeah. Actually, you we, know, we should probably thing, like, start explicitly saying that they're not going to be easy. Right. But. Well, and also, like, these things probably aren't going to go away. It's, you know, it's like I have nothing against, like, uber-violent games. I totally feel like there's a place for that. Um, you know, and I loved that shit when I was a kid. Um, so I can't sit here and, like, bash it. But, um, there's, you know, there's there's been some stuff over the years that I think has been in poor taste, like, that just goes a little too far. Um, you know, especially where kids are concerned. I mean, if you're... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're like a five-year-old kid and you're playing GTA, maybe that takes things a little bit too far. You know, ultimately that I think speaks to parenting. But um, totally, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a it's a matter of balance and, and making sure that you know we're not doing things that are like infinitesimally grotesque in games and, and just completely depraved. But you know, I, I don't have a ton of <laughs> a ton of instances that I can pull from off, off the top of my head. Just you know, just think about stuff, folks. Just think about stuff. Uh, question number five. Um, you are, are are living a dream. You're making games for a living. Um, it's going somewhat well because at least you've got one on the market right now, and it's it's a lot more than other people could say. Um, is there any other profession, uh, given uh, either infinite resources or infinite time, that you would love to try? 
Yeah, um, I would love to be in food and beverage. Um, I I love cooking. Um, I'm way way into it. Like I I slave over a barbecue every chance I get, um, and it's just so much fun. And I also really really love distilled spirits. So um, you know, I'd love to like either get into craft brewing at some point, or like really look into distilling my own spirits, or working with somebody to do so, or just you know, or just spending a lot of time like learning how that process really comes about and, and, you know, doing it on my own. I mean, uh, stuff like that is like, you know, it's fun to dream. Right. And, uh, um, totally. I, you know, I think if you're not, if you're not dreaming and thinking about other opportunities and things to do in life, like you're slowly dying. And, you know, for me, I feel like that's, that's my next passion in life. And whether that comes up when I'm, you know, 40 or 80, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just something that I really want to do. So, you know, if I wasn't making games, I could easily see myself doing that. Excellent. Um, normally, this next question is uh, is kind of up in the air in the way that I uh, kind of hand it out, um, and it's a question kind of it comes down to like what you know if you had to go back or, or bring forward a game to kind of play again with new eyes, uh, what would it be? Uh, but this one's going to be kind of really focused because uh, yesterday uh, we lost uh, Mr. Iwata from Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this next question is is if you could. Um, revisit any Nintendo game with a new set of eyes, um, what would it be? No question, Legend of Zelda. Like, absolutely, I want to go back and play, like, have that first Zelda experience once again. Um, I'm a huge Mario fan. Like, that was a jam for sure. I mean, we, you know, so much of my childhood was built around those games, one through three, and um, there's just something really, really special about that first Zelda experience. I think it really changed the landscape of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and how people thought about them. Um, and, and, yeah, I would absolutely go back and experience that for the first time. I, I think that really that really had a market impact on, on me, not only as, you know, a future game developer, but as a player and, like, how how deeply I started diving into to story and exploration and really thinking about those concepts. And, um, man, yeah, I, I would love to revisit that with fresh eyes for sure. Yeah. Great answer. Um, final question. Uh, this is at also surprisingly also Nintendo based, but this is always the way it's been. Um, when at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is waiting for us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? That <laughs> uh, that I that I was the highest climber of of poles with flags on them of anyone that's ever climbed a pole with a flag on it <laughs> fair enough okay that is a, that is a great goal to, to reach for I like this. is this is this is is is, uh, is pole climbing something that you've started already or is this something that you hope to accomplish soon in the future no no i'm just a, i'm just a completionist and gotcha. uh oh i i, I oh so these are these are metaphorical poles and not actual right actual flag poles okay Yes, exactly. For a second there, I was Although, like, man, you're really into climbing flagpoles? That is awesome. I yeah. Right along with this. You know, I don't really have much time to climb the flagpoles these days. It was It was a good hobby while it lasted. Put on a couple too many pounds. It's a little harder now. <laughs> but, I, no, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that is it. You have passed. Um, unfortunately, there's no prize that goes along with this other than knowing Damn that you've answered all these questions. Uh, and that we respect you for it. Um, 
Unfortunately, that's that also doesn't count for That's the price in itself, Ryan. That's all I need. That's right. That's right. Thank you for saying that and for lying to me. The check is in the mail. Uh, Jonathan, <laughs> uh, please take us home. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, if you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information on Into the Stars. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to fugitive-games.com and check that out, or certainly just uh, pop onto Steam itself and do a search for Into the Stars, and we'll come right up. Um, the game is out now in early access. Um, our first patch is going to come out very, very soon and make things even better. And, um, you know, it's a process that we hope people are eager to join in with us because, uh, you know, we're really excited to work with the community to make the game better and better until we do a full release later this year. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, and we wish you the best of luck as you continue uh, the development and lead towards the official release. So uh, good luck with that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you.